Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. What is going on, Diesel Nation? We're excited to have you guys with us today on the Diesel Podcast. Today, I'm going to be chatting about something we have never had on the podcast. I've never seen this anywhere in Diesel, and that is a 6-liter power stroke in a Nissan GTR. So I'm going to be joined by Cole. He's going to tell us about the build, why they chose that engine, how they um, just came up with the idea, and talk about what it was built for and and some of the goals that, that they have with it, some of the benefits that a diesel engine provides them during these these races and these events that they're going to. So it's going to be really cool to chat with them. Before we get to it, I want to remind you guys, if you go to kershaw.kiausa.com, you can save 20% off site-wide. Use code DIESEL20. It's a great way to save some money on uh, something you might want for everyday carry, hunting, fishing, around the house, at the job site. they got a ton of cool things that uh, really meet any budget. So um, whether you just need something that you need to work hard um, or you like to collect them. Um, there's a ton of different opening devices, ton of different blade stills they got. So make sure and definitely check them out. Also, if you're watching on YouTube and you're not subscribed, make sure and subscribe. These episodes, there's so much information our guests provide, so many questions that they answer. It helps us reach more people who may not subscribe or know about the Diesel Podcast. So make sure you subscribe, turn on notifications, like the video, comment on it. Let us know if there's a question that I didn't ask that uh, you'd like me to ask the guests, get them back on, um, or show suggestions, or just your thoughts on on what we're chatting about. Love to hear from you guys and love to read those. All right, let's get to today's episode with Cole and talking about a 6-liter Power Stroke swapped into a Nissan GTR. Cole, welcome to the Diesel Podcast. I'm really excited to chat with you today. We've had a lot of people that wanted to know about this car with a 6-liter Power Stroke swap, so I'm really pumped to be able to chat with you today and learn about this really cool build. Excellent. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, excited to chat about it. It's quite the <laughs> monstrosity. So it's, uh, it's definitely been turning some heads. Well, I know people when they see the title or if they're watching on YouTube, they're going to see you know, a picture of the car. So let's just jump right into it. Like, where did the idea come from to six liter power, power stroke swap a Nissan GTR? Well, it's kind of, kind of an odd combination of things, but uh, I'll, I'll keep it pretty simple for you. It's um, I, I, a joint venture between us, Life Motorsport, um, who has a history of racing the Nissan GTR um, in time attack and hill climb type events, um, and Riff Raff Diesel, who provides a lot of Power Stroke performance products. So this is a, a, the second project that we've worked on together. Um, the first one, we put a six liter in a 55 Ford F100. And after I drove it, I thought, wow, there's actually a lot of potential in reducing the weight that this vehicle is in or that the engine is in and um, it could perform really, really well. So it got me excited and uh, we haven't had an old R35 GTR chassis um, kind of sitting around that we retired from racing in 2015. And uh, we jokingly said, hey, we should put a power stroke in it. And after driving the 55 Ford with it, it was like, actually maybe this isn't a joke maybe there is something to this and yeah it kind of escalated and built from there and uh we had uh, events like the pikes peak hill climb uh, in mind going after the diesel record there we had events like bonneville uh you know going after diesel records there 
um, a number of different road course circuits, the F1 track in Texas, you know, we want to go do the fastest diesel around that place. So, um, yeah, it was just kind of an odd combination that we thought would work well. Um, the R35 is naturally a heavy car. They're all wheel drive. They're dimensionally large. And we thought if we're going to put a truck engine into a car, this is about the best car that you can do it with because it is already so big and so heavy so it's kind of up up to the task so yeah that's it, it was originally announced as an april fool's joke uh, <laughs> on social media and we got pretty good feedback we're like well maybe we should do this you know maybe we are crazy enough to, to pull it off and yeah so uh our partners at riffraff uh you know guided us through the diesel side of it we knew the gtr side of it and uh built one hell of a car it's really cool combining both both sides of what you guys do with racing and have done for a really long time with a company like Riff Raff Diesel and, and their specialty of, of diesel engines. And I think you know, the thing that that really kind of blew me away at first was just the car and having a diesel engine in it. You know, we've talked about or we've seen, you know, come and swap Mustangs and Duramaxes and old Chevy cars and things like that, but nothing with a GTR. So dimensionally taking that engine and getting it in there what kind of challenges or custom things did you guys have to do just to get it to sit in the in the car itself it's this is one of the easiest things oddly <laughs> enough and it was by pure chance we had committed to doing it before we had the 3d scan of the engine and the chassis to see and so we knew we were going that direction so we scanned the engine we scanned the chassis and we mocked it up and we we're like no way it clears the frame rails like <laughs> we're talking millimeters you know such a small like distance so that we had to grind part of the frame rail in a couple spots to clear the exhaust manifolds but it literally fit between the factory frame rails so it's uh oddly enough it did fit we removed this entire transmission tunnel and everything to to clear for the the, the bigger transmission housing and everything like that but um yeah, the engine dimensionally fit in there. Uh, I'd say the most difficult part of fitting the engine was doing the compound turbo system and keeping that compact and back far because we want the weight centralized towards the center of the, uh, the, the car. Otherwise, it's going to be way too nose heavy. We knew we were putting a bigger, heavier engine in this thing. So we tried to push the engine as far back as possible. So essentially where the radio buttons are on a normal GTR is the inlet to our big turbo <laughs> it's literally in the dashboard the air filter i'm like i can see into the uh compressor of the big turbo so um packaging was a huge huge um task on this thing um but the actual fitment of the engine between the frame rails was uh surprisingly easy what was the hardest part of of the build was it that transmission tunnel the firewall having the weight be kind of in the middle of the car or was there something else that was just really challenging for you guys the challenging part is the unknowns and the things that nobody has ever done. I wish that I could call up somebody and say, hey, how does a Ford six liter do under two G's of cornering force? <laughs> Turns out nobody's done that. There's nobody I can call. There's no magic hotline. And so we had to painfully go and find that stuff out ourselves. So um, we understand Pike's Peak and the challenges that are presented there. The air is super, super thin. Most vehicles will never, ever see you know 14,000 feet in their entire you know life of driving around for hundreds of thousands of miles so taking a, a an already difficult platform like a diesel engine where it, you know it needs dense air and you take it up a mountain and then you you change the altitudes from starting at 9,000 feet to 14,000 feet so 
that was the most difficult part of the process is figuring out how to make all of the different like diesel components work in an area they've never been pushed to before. We, we had no power stroke engine data above 10,000 feet. We had no power stroke engine data on high G cornering forces in, in relation to oil system or oil consumption at 4,500 RPM. You know, what, how much oil are we going through? Nobody knows, nobody had those answers. So those have been the things that we've had to, to find out sometimes the hard way as we developed it, but it's, been by far the, the most difficult part <clears throat> that is really one of the coolest things because there's so many other types of platforms or builds where <clears throat> there is that data or you know there's 20 years of of uh you know experience with doing it i think of a six liter and they've come so far and they the aftermarket form is huge and they can make tons of power but combining it with something like pike's peak and the lack of air and just the brutality of that race you guys are really blazing a trail with this and we we feel it because we're getting burned, man. <laughs> it's uh, it is a um, I've always called it the bleeding edge of technology because it's so painful to be out there doing it, and it's 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 something we're familiar with to be pushing it. You know, the fact that we're just doing it with the diesel now is the the new puzzle. You know that we've uh, started to put together. Um, but that's part of the fun, you know, it's like going out and doing stuff people have never done and solving problems and um, coming up with solutions like I dig that part, you know, it comes only second to physically driving the race cars. And that is, uh, that's a, the next best part of it. But uh, it's painful sometimes finding the solution to these things. But it's ultimately when you figure it out, and, uh, you know, you were the first one there first to do it and then um, can spread that knowledge and information down the line. So, you know, the riffraff product line is going to be better having all this testing and development and uh, you know pushing the limits behind it. Um, it's really good for them. It's good for us as a race car development shop. Um, you know, we, we get to learn new instrumentation, um, new challenges and uh, new platforms. So it's, it's just a, a really weird way to have fun. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I was just thinking of, I did a recent episode with a uh, a racer who took a Cummins engine and he put it in a Fox body Mustang. And he was talking about how through his experience and calculations, he knew that he didn't need to make 1500 or 2500 horsepower with the weight and his suspension and everything like that. So when you guys were looking at this car with your racing background and chatting with riffraff diesel, did you guys, or how did you guys come up with a power number, a torque number that you thought would make the car competitive and reliable and be able to perform you know, in something like, you know, Pike's Peak or other kind of races, you know, was it, we need a thousand horsepower, we need 1200, we need 800, we need 750. What went into the power recipe for it? Um, the kind of the three factors that we used on it were um, turbo spool. You know, you, we, we make all the power you want, but if you can't light the thing off, then you know, what are you going to do? So having a, a, something that could spool, Riffhaf had a, a, a solid track record of drag racing the six liter. And so they knew, hey, this is a comfortable power level for these components. This is something we, you can go out and run season after season, year after year. So reliability was the second thing, you know. Um, we needed to spool, we needed to be reliable. Um, and then the third factor was uh, like heat, you know, you make more power, you make more heat, and sometimes it's an unfair exchange. So we wanted to make enough power that we were on the, the limited adhesion for forward grip on the tires, 
um, but not so much that we're blowing the tires off the thing, making a bunch of unnecessary heat, um, trying to keep it as efficient as possible. So um, you, we just weighed those things out and, um, and then you know, we just said, hey, we'll spray it with more nitrous. This <laughs> 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 is kind of you know, the, the recipe, if you will. It's really fascinating to think about it like that because our our background and the guests that we've had, it's a lot of drag racing and it's <clears throat> trying to make the most power, get the right traction for you know the straight line race. But what you guys are doing, it's a lot longer. There's a lot more heat. There's a lot of other factors in it where maybe you don't need to just make 1800 horsepower and you know, face a whole new set of problems with it. So dialing it into that range is something I find really interesting. You know, just what goes into it, you know, chatting with them. Um, riffraff diesel and and you know your, your team there and figuring that out so i know people are going to say well how much power does it make um do they have plans for more power so are you guys happy with where it is from a power standpoint and the heat and the reliability of it with the limited testing yes it's a definitely a suitable power level um if you know something that i learned with with nitrous and diesels is they can run cooler with nitrous. And it's it's kind of an amazing thing to watch uh, on some of the data. So uh, it's one of those things where we can make more power and create less heat um, with, you know, the, the right combination of nitrous usage. So I'd like to make uh, just a little bit more on the spray because we are getting to the limit of uh, traction on the tires to where it's not you know, losing traction quite a bit. So I feel like we're close to the limit. I'd, I'd like another 20%. Um, and I think we can do that on the bottle uh, and you know, just have it when we need it. There's a couple questions some listeners asked me that I'm really curious about as well. And one of them was, what kind of transmission did you guys put behind the engine into this GTR that, you know, it fits, it gives you the things you guys need as racers to be able to you know, dial it in and customize it. Something like you mentioned with that durability and reliability as you're putting a lot of stress on it. So as a driver, as a Pikes Peak competitor, I need throttle response. It is so important for me to have to balance a car. So a manual transmission makes the most sense. Unfortunately, there's no manual transmission that's a good fit for this setup. And uh, so the, the second best option was to go with the 4R100 on a full manual valve body. So that at least gives me full control over, I need to be in this gear at this corner, up shifts, down shifts. We're also able to wire it up so it's on a paddle shift system. So I can keep both hands on the wheels under you know, high G cornering, braking, that sort of stuff. And um, it actually, I was really impressed with it. I was concerned about running such a high performance car with a, you know, a slush box four <laughs> speed, uh, but it, it, it does all right. Um, so that, that's ended up, what we're using you know they've been known to hold plenty of power um i love the full manual control over it um and yeah it's it's stout so that's ultimately what we ended up going with i think of a, a gtr i think all wheel drive and then i think of a 4 100 and a diesel in it somebody said what are they is it still all wheel drive what are they doing with with the drive line yep so it's just rear wheel drive we run the 4 100 uh we've got a like a winner's quick changer and a 10 inch ring gear uh, quick change ratio on the back so we can dial in um, because you know we're going to, from like a road race car with a six-speed transmission 
to, to something with only a four speed, having that final gear ratio tunability is super important. Um, so uh, when we package everything, we put a lot of weight over the rear axle or towards the rear of the car and uh, to help with the, with the traction with all the torque that we were making. And so, um, yeah, managing that four speed, it's, and then it's the fact that it's an auto and diesel, it lays the power down really smooth, really linear. And so it's easy to manage and it's uh, surprisingly responsive for, you know, it's a, a four speed auto. This got me thinking about like your guys' history, what you do, and the combination of diesel. What is your opinion on it in these kind of in this kind of platform of racing? And is it something that you think has a a future in it? Is it something that you guys want to experiment more with and, and take a look at? Can we take advantage of some of the things that diesel does with these other cars or these other vehicles that you know combine lighter weight and other sort of things? Um, into something you see you guys might play around with more in the future. 100%. I've always been a big fan of diesels. It's just, uh, you know, I, I drive them on the streets. I, I was at uh, the Sebring 12-hour race when Audi debuted their Le Mans race car with the diesel engine in North America. It was amazing. It was unbelievable. And, you know, honestly, before that, I thought they were for towing boats. I didn't think that there was any, you know, and then, you know, the, at that time, you know, the diesel drag stuff was taken off and it was starting to get popular. And me being from Utah, there's a lot of, you know, uh, high performance diesel shops here and they have big races and all that. So I understood it from that standpoint, but I didn't believe it could be like a proper road race or hill climb type engine or application. Um, I saw what Audi did with it in, under race conditions and they just dominated. It was unlike anything I'd ever seen. Um, so it kind of opened my eyes at that point. Uh, and I think as the like aftermarket and the tuning continues to push, uh, it's going to make more and more sense. It's just efficiency and power. You know, they're robust. They make a lot of power. Um, if you know, if we could squeeze a little bit of weight, if somebody made like a lightweight billet, uh, you know, block for these things, oh man, yeah, it'd, be, it'd be quite the potent weapon. The fact that it's just a little heavy is, is the, the biggest downside to it. But um, you know, one one day we'll have lightweight blocks. And, uh, I'll be very happy to order one. Uh, yeah, I think it's something that I, I want to play more with. I believe in it as a long term. In, in fact, I believe diesel is going to outlast gas in uh, in the big scheme of things over time. Uh, so I'm happy to be a part of uh, you know the development of diesels that we have today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply is i was thinking about the weight when i think of the weight of a gas engine and then a diesel there's so much more is, is that really just the biggest challenge of packaging something like this is the weight how you distribute it compared to a gas engine that you could use totally because it's if you don't have balance then your power is useless and so 
we went through great efforts to put that engine far enough back between the shock towers to tuck it back so it wasn't too nose heavy. So um, we've got about the, the front cylinder lined up with the center line of the wheels, which is really impressive. I'm very stoked that the guys in the shop were able to pull that off um, and keep that weight behind the front wheels. Otherwise, the thing would just handle so poorly, it wouldn't even matter. You know, the fact that we were able to get a lot of weight over the rear wheels packaging wise, but not hang it behind the rear axle. Another, you know, great job by the team to put the, the power down. We need the weight on top of the tires in, in a two wheel drive configuration. So, um, yeah, the, the packaging of everything and, and having good balance and good uh cooling, you know, because we have three radiators in the back, two uh, air oil heat exchangers, two oil water heat exchangers, three fans. Um, it's just an unbelievable uh, packaging nightmare for somebody to look at and say, how am I going to put all this crap in here? But, um, and not hang it out past the axles, you know, because that, that changes the, your, the polar moment, the time that it takes to change direction from, you know, moving to the left to the right. And uh, all of these things were taken into consideration and, and planned out as we, we executed the build. I had another listener that, well, you know how just being a gearhead, we all have our brands that we like and gravitate towards for GM or Ram. And somebody said, well, make sure you ask them, like, are they ever going to do a Duramax or a Cummins or even look at that? Or so I wanted to ask you, do you think you guys might venture into some of the other diesel engines out there for maybe another build or, or something like that? Doubt it. <laughs> I doubt it. Yeah. I'm just, uh, I grew up around power strokes, you know, and, uh, I remember the first time I went deer hunting with a with a my dad's buddy and he had his new power stroke at the time it was like 97 or something like that. I didn't think we were going to find a single deer because the thing was so loud. <laughs> unbelievable, but uh, that was my introduction to power strokes and uh, so I personally that's kind of the brand for me riffraff obviously through and through power stroke people so you know I'm I'm not against you know trying some other flavors but uh if it's my choice you know that's and I can only pick one that's one I'm going to choose that's uh it's it's so interesting when we as you had mentioned you know a hunting trip and a 97 obs and just how the older trucks they'll they'll either spark a memory with us i hear that from a lot of guests where you know their grandfather had a 12 valve or somebody had a 6.2 or 6.5 gm or the 7.3 and it's just we always keep that connection and it's really cool to see on the power stroke side how for the longest time it was if you want to go fast you get a cummins or you get a duramax and whether it's seven threes whether it's six liters um there's so much that's out there for them that you guys can pick from in the aftermarket um with different parts and technology that it's really cool to see how it's emerged and and become viable for a lot of different things not just this build but also drag racing or for the guys who do tow and they just want you know something reliable it's been really cool to to kind of watch and, and you know see what you guys are doing with this Nissan, you know, GTR with a six liter, what you're able to do with it. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. Thanks, man. It's, it's been a super fun project to be a part of. It definitely has, uh, it's unique. I, we, we build a lot of cool cars, but man, nothing turns heads like this thing, especially as it's idling, just cruising through the pits. People, <laughs> people move out of the way because they think a truck hauling a race car trailer is coming through the pits and they, they look at the car and it just doesn't compute. So it's, uh, it's certainly fun to turn heads. I did want to ask you a little bit more about the shop because I know a lot of our listeners, they're into racing, they're into all different kinds of things. They might be partial to diesel, but they have other interests. What do you guys typically work on and build there in the shop? 
it's a lot of fabrication and engineering uh, based around motorsport. We get some oddball projects where we'll take on a custom build that's automotive or performance related, but we'll never race kind of thing. Um, so we got uh, a bunch of talented fabricators, engineers. We do a lot of our CAD stuff in-house. We do carbon fiber in-house. And so we, we specialize in ground up race car builds. Uh, so let's say you have a particular car you want, maybe you want to put a factory style engine in it, do a replica of an older race car, maybe you want to do something wild, like put a power stroke in the PPR. <laughs> but we're kind of, a, all, we try to do as much in-house as possible. Um, so we have a wide range of, of, of talents at the shop that we do here, and then a couple partners that we work with on, you know, maybe final tuning or, uh, you know, production parts, things like that. Uh, so yeah, we, we just like building race cars from the ground up and doing all the custom stuff from start to finish. And ultimately we're a motorsport shop. We want to take that car and race. We do some kind of show, show car type stuff, but I'm not a show car guy. I'm a race car driver, man. So it's, if you want the best version of me involved in your build, you know, we got to go racing. And, uh, so yeah, it is pretty much all motorsport based and, um, out of this shop, we started a, a small car company called Sierra Cars, which is a um, lightweight, open wheel, single seat race car. Um, picture like a UTV in an F1 car had a little rally car baby. <laughs> that We make that here in-house as well. So uh, just another cool, cool project thing that we can race around. Where did your passion for racing come from? Or, or what was the, the first time you remember you know, seeing it or doing it and going, I need to do this. This is what I want to do. Well, it was man and machine. It started with bicycles, I guess. Um, you know, it's, I was riding my bike and I just wanted to go faster and I could ride my bike faster than I could run. So that was an upgrade. And then um, I started cleaning my bike with a, with, uh, with a uh, Q-tip, you know, paying attention <laughs> to little details on things. And then, so I got into bikes, became kind of a bike mechanic. It was my first job was unboxing bikes and assembling them. And then uh I turned 15, I bought a car for my grandma and it had a manual transmission. So, you know, between like 14 and 15, I get Gran Turismo as a video game. I get a car with a manual transmission and I'm already a bike mechanic. So I was ruined I think, back then. Uh, so yeah, I went to, to school to become a mechanic and ultimately I knew I wanted to be driving race cars, but I had no money to, to do anything like that with. So I uh, became a mechanic, started to build cars for myself. That turned into building cars for other people and uh, just continued to try to stay, you know, behind the driver's seat and uh, hang out in the shop with a bunch of rad dudes building cool cars. It's really interesting you say Gran Turismo because prior to that releasing, I wasn't into cars, trucks, anything. I remember that game came out. I'm totally dating myself too, but that game came out and you could take it to the shop and do like exhaust and intake and lower the weight and do stuff. And that's where I thought, this is a whole new world. This is really cool. You can customize vehicles and do stuff with it. And that was something that I never, I haven't really thought about it till right now. When you mentioned it, that was really what got me interested in automotive was the ability to customize something. And that game just kind of brought it kind of to me in a way. <laughs> oh, 100%. I do Gran Turismo in real life. Like that yeah. is my and I, I, that's all I wanted as a kid. I couldn't believe it. I was so blown away with cars. My family didn't have money. So it was like, I got, I, they paid $35 a year for my ABA BMX membership, like race membership fee. And that was a stretch, you know? And so the thought of actually driving race cars or doing it uh, in the future was so far out of my thoughts that, uh, 
you know, Gran Turismo was it. It was my connection to, you know, to, to that stuff. And, you know, Fast and Furious came out a little bit after that. I was six, I was 15 when Fast and Furious came out. And so there was all those things at that point in my life kind of just put me down the path that uh, I was just going to play Gran Turismo in real life. One of the things I love to do with this podcast, and, and I feel lucky that the platform provides, is someone will listen. They could be younger. <clears throat> There's actually a lot of younger people that'll listen and they'll say, hey, I want to get into this. I want to do this. I want to build cars or trucks or I want to build um, you know, a diesel dragster or something like that. And hearing your story and how it started and, and where you're at now, what is some advice you would give somebody that's younger out there? They want to do this, but you know, either they don't feel they have the opportunity or they're not exposed to it or, you know, that's just kind of a dream. What would you tell them to do if, if they want to pursue uh, basically doing what you're doing and build things and race things, um, you know, be able to help them along that journey? I, I get asked this question and I th- uh, quite a bit. And I, so I've had a lot of time to think about the response and I break it down into two categories. There's, there's ultimately things you have to do to make a living. You know, you got to live, right? So, but you, everybody wants to be doing something that they enjoy doing to make a living. Okay. And so that, for, that for me was a mechanic. My end goal was never to be a mechanic. I, I didn't want to be the best dude in my local dealership. Like those guys make good money and everything, but I had bigger dreams than that, but I needed to make a living. And on the, the second part of that is always be working towards the thing you actually want to be doing. And I wanted to be a race car driver. And that was it more than anything. And so with all my free time and, you know, actually looking for little side gigs and stuff like that, I pursued racing. And as I worked at the, the car dealership full time, I came, I became a mechanic. I got accepted to Porsche factory training, became a Porsche mechanic. And I was, that was my gig, but nobody was letting me drive their race cars. It was extremely (laughs) disappointing. So um, being able to, you know, make your bread and butter, understand you got to go out there and make a living um, while still continuing to pursue your, your dreams, the things you truly want to be doing. um, You've got to dig in and give that that little extra percent. If you're burned out at five o'clock, when you go off work, you're not going to get that next step. You know, I burned the candle at both ends through my twenties I'm working at the dealership and pursuing racing jobs and my funding my own racing and doing my own training and learning from people better than me. Um, it was the extra time that I put in um, that allowed me to really start to live my dreams. And it was something that I was able to pursue part time. You know, I didn't have to give up, you know, a place to live or a car because, you know, my regular job covered that. But uh, digging in and spending, you know, and it was easy for me because I was passionate about it, but it is work. And spending that extra bit of time chasing my passion and then ultimately being able to transition my passion into my full-time career. um, There was a very definitive moment uh, when I was working and racing, but working at the dealership. I was standing in the middle of a racetrack in Florida. They were unloading a brand new Porsche race car fresh from Germany, like literally flown in the night before. And I looked at all these people that were working there in Sebring, Florida, and they were getting paid to play with race cars. It was really <laughs> like, man, and I'm one of those people. It was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I don't care what it takes. I'm going to work into racing full time and make it my only gig. And I was able to do that about five years after that point uh, and get my own shop. And um, so the, the, the transition wasn't overnight. I had to do a bunch of stuff I didn't want to do in order to get there. 
Um, but I never lost sight of, hey, this is what I truly want to be doing the most. And some gigs, some driving gigs I got, I'd only get a couple opportunities a year. And now I'm driving something cool once a week, it seems like. So, um, but it happened by working on a part-time and just taking those opportunities as, it, as they would come up. Sounds like a lot of patience. And then also staying focused on the goal as well through the process of getting there. And I think a lot of times uh, younger people, and I was like this when I was younger, I wanted things right away. I wanted to achieve it. I didn't understand that it took a while. So I think that really speaks a lot to, um, you know, a way that people can do it and, and just patiently work towards it and, and achieve it. And I know, you know, with this car, like I said, people on YouTube, they're going to see the thumbnail. They're going to know by the title. It is a beautiful car. Where can people find and follow the car, your shop, what you guys are doing, you know, stay tuned as you guys are you know racing it and testing it and just follow the build. You can find us on uh, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube uh, under Life Motorsport, and that's life with a Y, L-Y-F-E. And uh, we've done a whole documenting, um, or a whole series of videos documenting the build of the GTR. I think there's about a 10 video series on there. Um, and in the next two weeks, we'll um, drop our Pikes Peak post-event video. Uh, it's a complete recap of everything we went to up into the race and and through race day uh so that'll be dropping here soon on youtube we, we do put out content pretty regularly uh no only on the diesel uh, gtr build but uh some of the other stuff that comes through the shop as well well i appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today cole it was like i said awesome to see the car when, uh, when i saw it on instagram and then i started to learn a little bit more about it by following you guys and then hearing your story about racing and doing what you do doing what you love and something totally unique which is a six liter power stroke in a gtr and so i look forward to following it and it was a, a fantastic chat and can't wait to see what you guys are able to do with it Excellent, man. Well, well, thanks for reaching out and I'm happy to share with you guys. And uh, I feel like we're just getting started, just starting to unlock all the little secrets in this thing. I was uh, so impressed with it on our very first, you know, go out. And uh, that doesn't happen usually on new race car builds. They usually suck for a while. Um, so we're off to a good start with this one. And uh, I'm excited to see what comes of it. Don't forget, diesel fans, make sure and head on over to kershaw.kiausa.com. Use code diesel20 for 20% off site-wide. They got a ton of choices no matter what your budget is or, or what you need the knife to do, whether it's everyday carry, um, something for fishing, hunting, at home, around the job site. There's a ton of cool things. I've you know, A lot of you guys have you know, told me what you got, and, and it's so cool to see you know the gear out there and and uh, learn more about knives. You know, Myself, we've had uh, Kershaw Knives on the podcast before, and they're a great company. We appreciate them supporting the podcast and then also offering a way to save 20% off their website. I also want to give a shout out to some of our Patreons, Tyler Lowen at 23Diesel, Caleb, um, our other Patreons, our subscribers on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. We appreciate your guys' support over the years and the great suggestions that you have for guest builds, things that you guys want to know more about. We love being able to deliver that to you. So we wanted to thank you guys. Until next time, keep the shiny side up.